Frankie, come. Frankie, come. Come on. Good boy. Good boy. Sit. Good boy. Stay. How about you? Can you come sit and stay for the next 30 minutes? This is Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Good boy, Frankie. Hello there, and welcome once again to the October 2018 edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. I'm Devin from Canada. This month we're going to be featuring the podcast of a radio show done by Marcy Davis of New Mexico. The show is called Working Like Dogs, and it appears on Pet Life Radio. And the episode that we want to focus on this month is called Emergency Vets. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And I'd like to welcome to our show Dr. McCauley. We're so glad that you could be with us today. So you are the current medical director of the Animal Emergency Center of West Houston. So tell us, what's the difference between a regular veterinary office and an emergency clinic like yours? There's a huge difference. It's, it's completely opposite of a general practice. Um, in essence, we don't really do any kind of vaccinations. Nothing is routine about our practice. Um, if you've ever visited a human emergency room or watched uh, Animal Planet and watched Animal ER, that's exactly what it's like. We are dealing with life-threatening situations from the moment we open our doors until we close in the morning. Uh, we're open all night, which is another difference between general practice and emergency. Um, our hours are completely opposite of everybody else's. So we're there primarily to take over the care of all the veterinarians uh, that are open during the day. We're taking care of all of their patients at night, on weekends, and on holidays. So do you have to have a referral to come to your clinic, or can you just show up? How does that work? You don't have to have a referral to come to the emergency clinic. You really just need to, to show up. Um, and our patients essentially are categorized um, based on their uh, injuries or illnesses on how critical they are. And those patients are obviously going to be seen first. Um, but you do not have to have a referral. But we do work closely with uh, the referring veterinarians in the area by sending copies of medical records for their patients when they've been seen so that the referring veterinarian can pick up where, where we've started and continue care for those patients that might still need it after we close. Right. That's wonderful. Well, I know that taking care of my service dog, Whistle, is just so important to me. And I'm always watching him and trying to make sure that he's healthy and that I'm not seeing any any signs of, of anything that he might need. But I know over the years, because Whistle's my third service dog, that I have had some instances when I've had to go to the emergency vet. And I guess one of my questions for you would be, how do you know when it's time to go? to that after-hours clinic like yours? When do you know that it's time to go and that you shouldn't wait any longer? Well, you know, our, our basic philosophy is if you feel like there's anything wrong with your pet, no matter how small it might seem to you, if you are concerned, you should come in. And I say that because so many emergencies in the very early stages um, 
are not presenting with very classic symptoms of anything specific. So a pet that's vomiting, it may not be just a simple digestive upset. It could be something like kidney disease or liver disease, or maybe they have are developing a bloat, um, and vomiting can be one of the first symptoms. So really, ideally, at the first sign, and you know your pet best because you live with them every day. So if you feel like there's something that's not right, it's never too small to come to the emergency room. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because sometimes I feel like a mom and that I'm being way overprotective of my service dog. But I, this dog is, you know, is also my livelihood, as you know. Working dogs are, you know, I depend on my independence depends on Whistle's health. So whenever I see one of my service dogs currently or in the past that had something, it made me so nervous that I was just really, really concerned. And when I called the emergency vet because I called them ahead of time and tried to talk with them before I showed up. Is that a good thing to do or are you guys so busy you prefer people just come in? No, it's always, you know, it's a good idea to call um, because in some instances it, it gives us a little bit of leeway time to get some things set up. So for instance, if your pet was having trouble breathing, that gives us the opportunity to get our oxygen unit up and running and have it waiting for so when the patient gets there, they can immediately be put on oxygen and we're not wasting precious moments putting the unit together for that patient. So it's a good idea to call. Um, sometimes where if you've been to your vet already during the day, maybe your pet was ill, we're going to recommend that if you have copies of any paperwork, we're going to want you to bring that with you. So um, if they've gotten into something that they've ingested some um, human prescription medications or some type of uh, chemical that you have out, we're going to ask you to bring the package um, so that we can see what's in there. So it is a good idea. It does really give us a, a heads up and we're able to better prepare for patients coming. So it is nice for you to call first, but you don't have to. In some instances, you might not have a phone nearby, and um, it may be better to just get in the car and go. Right. Well, you were talking about bloating, and I know for large dogs, I had always heard to be careful that my service dog's stomach may turn. And I thought, what in the world does that mean, that your this stomach may turn? And I, But I had that experience last summer when my retired service dog had um, a colonoscopy, actually, because he was having some intestinal problems at my vet's office. And, of course, I picked him up at the end of the day, got home with him, and he started, he couldn't throw up because there was nothing on his stomach, but he started started retching really badly and coughing and I called my vet and he told me that he thought his stomach was turning and for me to get to my emergency vet very quick because I could get to them and at the end of the day and they saved his life because I was able to get there pretty quickly. So what are some of the symptoms of stomach turning or bloating or whatever those those official terms are, what would you recommend that people look for and do if they see that in their working dog? Well, you've already mentioned a couple of the symptoms. Um, retching is extremely common. Um, vomiting, trying to sometimes they'll vomit initially, then they just kind of keep retching over and over and over again, and, and nothing really is coming out. Um, also watching the abdomen and around where the last few set of ribs are, watching if, to see if that belly is actually starting to get distended. And it can get distended very, very quickly. Um, so you can even just grab like some yarn or string and measure around that area and see if it's 
getting bigger. Um, so that that's another thing that you can do just to, to watch for it. Um, and watching your pet, sometimes they, you know, can't seem to get comfortable. They go to lay down and get right back up and pacing. Um, some of them are going to cry from pain. Checking gum color uh, can become very pale um, in some instances. So those are really some of the classic symptoms of, of a bloat. Well, I have to tell you, that's one of the scariest experiences I've had with my working dog so far. And I hope that is the worst because that was really, it was so quick how that happened. And when I got to the emergency vet, they were so wonderful. My vet had already called them to alert them that I was on my way. And they met me in the parking lot because for me as a wheelchair user, by the time I got there, Morgan could no longer stand. He had collapsed in my vehicle and they were so wonderful because they came out and carried him in for me, which, again, was saving that precious time, and they were able to save him. So the work that you do is is just so critical. I mean, every second really, really does count. It really does. It really does. And that's something that we train our staff to understand, that the the nurses play a very, very critical role in our hospital, and they are the lifeline for these patients. And minutes and seconds do absolutely make a difference for some of these pets that come into us. So, you know, back to should we call your your vet calling the clinic and preparing the staff that you are coming, they could have a gurney out and they have an idea of what might be going on with the pet and how to pick them up without causing more pain or potential other complications. Those are all things that we train our staff to do and it's very important. Right. Well, as we're now in summertime and I live out in the West where this is a big issue, what do you recommend if your dog is bitten by a snake? If they're bitten by a snake, really the the best thing for you to do is to try to keep them very, very calm. And the reason for that is that if they're very worked up and frantic and running around and jumping up and down, they're blood pressure is going to go higher. Their circulation is going to be increased. And then you run the potential for venom from these poisonous snakes to then get into the systemic circulation and not just stay local in the area where they got bit. And if it gets into the systemic circulation, we're definitely going to have, could could develop many, many different complications that are going to become a lot more life-threatening, say, than if they venom just stays in one spot. So trying to calm them down is the best thing. Don't try to touch the area. It's extremely painful. It's just going to aggravate your pet and they're going to fight you on it. It's best to just get them in the car and get them to a veterinarian as fast as you can. Wow. Well, I know that's something that I always worry about. And I actually saw a snake last week, but luckily it was a it was a young snake, which I know they can even be more venomous. But um, luckily with my working dog, he was not at all interested in the snake and was on his leash, thank goodness, as well. Thank so, goodness. Yes. Thank goodness. And you would think that they learn the first time around that they get bit, but they don't. They'll go back a second time. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, yes. yes. They clear the I know. I was very thankful that it was a a low-risk snake episode, but that is something, you know, that I do worry about, especially, like I said, living in the West. Another thing that I I worry about is when I'm out in public so much and my dog is, is of course, with me, of getting a laceration or getting cut. I've had that happen before where I was at a big event and my dog stepped on a piece of glass and it cut her paw. So what would you recommend for that? You know, I think it's always a good idea, if, especially with, you know, when you are taking your pet places with you, 
carry a first aid kit in your in your car with you. Have that with you just in case something like this does happen. Um, of course, the first thing you want to do is is really try to control any bleeding that's going on, and so you want to try to apply apply direct pressure. Um, and you know, just you can take a a towel or something to wrap around the area and just hold pressure on there for a few minutes. Um, then remove that and check the area to see if it's continuing to bleed. If it is, go ahead and wrap it again and continue to hold pressure and then, and, and get to a vet somewhere. If, if a vet's not close by, other things that you might want to have in your um, kit is something to clean the wound with. And um, saline, just like the saline eye wash you use to clean your contact lenses with will work as long as saline is the only ingredient in there. And HibaCleanse is another very inexpensive over-the-counter cleaning agent. You can go to any um, pharmacy and pick that up. It's actually a much better cleaning agent than, say, something like hydrogen peroxide. So either one of those would be good to have handy so that you can clean the wound out and so make sure there isn't any debris in there. Um, have a pair of disposable gloves in that little kit. It, when you're cleaning, it, it really is actually best for you to put some gloves on your hand so we're not contaminating the wound further. You can have some neosporin in there. Uh, now, with neosporin and any topical ointments, you want to make sure to avoid that they don't contain lidocaine or any kind of cortisone. Lidocaine and cortisone, if they're used repeatedly, will actually prevent the wound from healing. So just use plain neosporin and use it generously. If you're going to apply a bandage on top of a wound that's maybe still oozing, if you apply um, bandage material right on top of that, when it goes to be removed, it pulls that skin. And, and that can be painful. So lather that neosporin on and, um, and then go ahead and put your bandage material on, on top of that to try to keep some direct pressure until you can get to the vet to determine if that's a laceration that's going to need surgical repair or not. Well, that's great. That's really great information to know. And, and that's one of the things I'm so glad you brought up an emergency kit and some things to keep on you. I know that you had some really great tips for us before our break. And what other things do you think that we should have in an emergency kit that we would keep, I guess, in our cars or at home? Could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I think um, having the kit in your car when you're traveling with your pet, um, and if you're at home, can you have one at home as well. Um, what I think is really important to have in this kit is uh, have an index card um, with some of the following information. You're going to want phone numbers for your vet, um, phone numbers for the emergency clinic that your uh, regular vet recommends, and um, potentially animal poison control phone number. And their number, if you don't know it, is 888. 426-4435. Um, you're also going to want to have a list of any medications your pet is on. And it's real important to have the name of the drug, uh, the milligrams of the pill, and how often you're administering that pill, and your pet's most recent weight. This is really important information, especially if you have to call the emergency clinic. We're going to ask you for some of this information, and it, and it can really help. Um, we talked a little bit before the break about having HibaCleanse or saline for cleaning uh, wounds and things like that, neosporin. You're also going to want to purchase some bandage material, have some gauze pads, some non-adherent uh, Telfa pads are great, uh, roll gauze, and some self-adherent bandage. And in the veterinary world, it's known as a vet wrap, and you can purchase that at Walmart or pet stores. It's really nice because it just it's self-adhesive. Um, and some medical-grade tape. Uh, tongue 
sensors work really well for spreading that neosporin onto your bandage material. You don't have to use your fingers or your hands and you're not contaminating the bandage material. A digital thermometer, really handy, especially if you suspect maybe your pet's running a fever or is potentially um, suffering from heat stroke. Rubbing alcohol, um, and that's not to be used in wounds. It, it's actually to be used in case your pet is suffering from heat stroke. It's a really great way to cool your pet quickly. Um, hydrogen peroxide can be used if you can't find Hippoclans. Uh, Benadryl, adult Benadryl, making sure it does not contain any other ingredient but diphenhydramine. Uh, some of the Benadryl out there has acetaminophen, which is also known as Tylenol, and that is toxic to your pet. Um, a large blanket or towel, a muzzle, and um, if you can't purchase a muzzle, you can use a belt, a scarf, a leash, or a bandana, um, some disposable gloves, and some KY jelly. Those are some really wonderful things to have kind of on hand that can buy you a little bit of time, especially if you're kind of out in the field somewhere and you're not very close to your vet or to an emergency clinic and something happens to your pet. Well, I know that's something that I did a couple of years ago. I actually went to Walmart and just got a container, one of those small, clear storage containers. And I have a lot of the things that you mentioned, but you've given me some great ideas for some other things that I need to add to my emergency kit. And then I got a smaller one, just one of those little first aid kits. And then I took some things out and added some things that I thought were more appropriate for my working dog, which are some of the things that you mentioned. So that's great advice to our listeners to really have that on hand because I can't tell you how many times we've used it and we really didn't think that we would, but you just never know what can happen when you're traveling or even when you're at home and, and something happens. So that is great advice. Yep. And, and I, that's what emergency is all about. It's unexpected. And if you're prepared for it, things can go so much smoother and easier. And it really can take the stress out of a lot of, of those situations if we're just prepared for them. Well, I love your suggestion about having an index card or a, a, what I have is just I have things in my computer. And I just keep it updated because it's easy and I can just print it out. And I drop it into one of those plastic sheets so that that way I don't tear it up in my vehicle or in my little box. Right, that's a wonderful idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I put it on colored paper so that it's easy for me to see it and grab it really quickly. Yeah, because like you said, you just never know when an emergency is going to happen. But I have to ask you about the poison control because I'm going to add that to my list. Are they available 24 hours a day? They are available 24 hours a day. Now, there is a fee that you have to pay for their service, um, but it, it's really an incredible service that they have. Um, they have access to just uh, an enormous database and can really um, let you know if your pet's going to be in any danger if they get into something and what you might be able to do um, it, during the travel period from your home to, or if you're out in the field until you can get to an emergency vet. Uh, they also will provide um, sometimes what antidotes are, are needed. That's awesome. And how does the cost work? Do you have to give a credit card number? Yeah, you just have to give them a credit card number over the phone. Okay. And about how much is it? Do you know? Um, at last uh, time I checked, it was about 60 to $65 for the call. Okay. So not real cheap, but yet invaluable if you really need that assistance. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There are so many things now and uh, that pets can get into. Um, a lot of human drugs that 
that veterinarians just aren't familiar with because we don't use them in the veterinary world. So mm-hmm. the fact that they have access to this information and they know what body system it's going to attack and what antidotes are needed, what treatment is needed, um, is really an invaluable tool as an emergency veterinarian. We're not wasting time trying to look this drug up on the Internet and trying to find information on it. So can they then, if like if I called in on my way over to the emergency vet, could they then, the poison control, call the emergency vet that I'm using and speak with them as part of that fee? Yes, as part of the fee, what they'll actually do is give you a case number and um, the name of the doctor who you have spoken with. And and you just give us the case number when you arrive. We have a, we'll call that number and they have a separate line for veterinarians to speak directly with the veterinarian there at Poison Control. And once we give them the case number, they, they can uh, proceed and let us know what other information we need. That's wonderful. Well, I'm glad that you brought up the whole issue of cost because I know a lot of people are worried about using an after-hours emergency vet service because they're worried about the cost. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works in your office? Sure. Um, the costs do generally tend to be about 30% higher than a general practice. And, and the reason for that is that our costs to run an emergency hospital are about 10 times higher than a general practice. Um, in our facility, they are actually built and set up exactly like a human emergency room. So all those fancy pieces of equipment that you see in human re- emergency rooms, we have them too. Um, and most of the time, you're not going to find a lot of that equipment in a general practice because they, they don't really get to use it. So it's not cost effective for them to have it there. But we have to have it. And there are certain drugs that we have to have on our shelf because if your pet comes in, and they need that life-saving injection, we have to have it there. And some of those are extremely costly to the clinic. Um, For instance, there is a one drug that we have that costs our hospital $200 for the one bottle. And we might use one mil of that 20 mil vial in one year. Wow. Yes. So we have to kind of spread that cost over in order to be able to carry that drug, but we have to have it because if if you came to us and your pet needed it and we didn't have it, how horrible would that be? Yeah, that would be so catastrophic. It yeah, would. it would be awful. Um, and so, in order for us to be able to provide the quality of care that we need to provide, it's it's what pets deserve. They deserve the absolute best then we have to be prepared for every situation. So costs do tend to be higher. Um, Most general practices will send blood work out to an outside lab because they're dealing with healthy patients. And so when you're sending to an outside lab, those labs are literally running hundreds of thousands of lab samples a day. So they can keep the cost really, really low. But we have to buy machines and have them in our hospital because our pets that are seeing us are really sick. And we need to know what those lab results are right now. We can't wait till the next day to get the lab results. So those, all those things start to really add up and that will account for a great deal of the costs that, that okay. go into setting our fees. Now at our hospital, one of the things that we do is we use a software program that actually takes into account what our overhead costs are and it calculates what we should be charging for medication or specific procedure. So it's actually a really very, very fair way of calculating the fees. We're not just kind of trying to guess. Um, That's great. Specific 
successfully. Veterinary medicine has come a long way, even since I graduated way back in 95. <laughs> way back in 95, this software didn't exist. And um, so people just kind of marked things up, maybe whatever it costs times three, and they mm-hmm. would just mark it up and, you know, hope that they were actually covering their costs and not um, creating huge revenue losses for their hospital. And with the advent of the software, it takes all that guesswork out, and we can really be fair to the client um, and still be able to provide really great care for our patients, and that's really the most important thing. That's awesome. Well, do you do people have to pay for all of the costs up front? Is there a payment plan or an insurance plan? They do generally have to pay for the costs all up front. We do offer financing um, through a great company called Care Credit, and it's essentially a credit card that's used for um, medical emergencies for your pets as well as for people. Uh, there are a lot of human physicians, dentists, and ophthalmologists that accept care credit, so you can use it for yourself as well. But we do offer that uh, form of financing for clients because it is, it's an emergency, and, and most people aren't, um, you know, have don't have an extra $3,000 laying around, and especially right now in these times, um, just available. So financing is something that we offer. Um, pet insurance, you can use your pet insurance, but, but the way pet insurance works is that you still have to pay your bill up front, and then you submit your invoice later, and they reimburse you for a okay. percentage of those costs. So it won't it won't cover those costs right up front for you. But it is a great thing. I have it on on all of my pets, and I'm a veterinarian, and I get some discounts sometimes, but I still have it because <laughs> um, you never know. I never know when I might have to take my pet to a specialist, um, and so I, I like to have that insurance just in case. Right, right. Well, that's what I was wondering because I know I've heard people that that's part of their decision of whether or not to go to an emergency vet is are they going to have to pay for it up front? Can they use a credit card? Is there a finance option? And it sounds like your office really tries to make it as accessible as possible. We really try to. Um, It's very, you know, when you don't... uh, have a long-term relationship with a client as we do. We see clients one time and we hope that they never have to come to our facility again. Um, There's not the ability to build that long-term trust like you do with your general veterinarian and uh, some general practitioners will extend um, payment plans to their long-time clients. Not all of them do, but some do and unfortunately our only form of financing is through care credit. We're not able to do any kind of other payment plan because we don't have that long-term relationship and we may not ever see those clients again. Right, and, and right. it's an unfortunate thing that there are people out there who unfortunately will, will give fake information. They don't give us their real names, their real addresses, their real phone numbers, and um, they you know, falsify documents and things like that. And um, it's, it's one of the reasons that we do have to um, unfortunately collect all of the fees for our services at the time those services are done because right. sometimes there's no way for us to trace those people after they leave. Right, and, and like going to drive the costs of emergency care up even higher. Well, okay. that's what I was going to say. Pay. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. And considering the work you're doing and the the seriousness and the acuteness and the amount of money that you have to invest in each 
animal that comes through the door, I, I can understand that and appreciate it. And I can tell you that the emergency vet services that I've used over the years have just been amazing. I have never had a bad experience at an emergency vet. They're always the most caring and responsive staff and, and just really wonderful. So thank you so much for the work that you do. Oh, you're and so welcome. It, it makes me sleep better at night knowing that we have a 24-hour <laughs> facility in our community just knowing that that's available so thank you for the work you're doing you're very welcome you're very welcome it's something that uh, my staff and my associates and myself we, we really have a passion for what we're doing and and we really want to make a difference in in the community and in the pet world and and then this is the way that that we can do it um, well that's we awesome feel that you know we do want clients who come in to have a different experience because we know they're under stress and you know Pets aren't just pets anymore. They're, they're our family. They're our kids. And we understand, you know, people being under stress and having to make very quick um, decisions um, based on, you know, what their pet's being seen for. And, and there's just a, being a, understanding and compassionate can go a really, really long way in, yeah. when you're in this type of situation. Well, I know when I've had to take in my service dog, they have just been amazing at letting me stay with my dog, being there with him, because they seem to get the relationship between my needs as a person with a disability and what my working dog was doing for me. So I just I just can't support the work that you're doing enough. And I'm so sorry that we're out of time because I would love to sit and visit with you more. And you're going to have to promise to come back and join us again so that we can talk about some other areas of emergency preparedness and emergency services. So sure, thank you, you. I love it. Absolutely. You're so welcome. Thank you so much to Marcy Davis and to Pet Life Radio for allowing us to share this invaluable information with you. See you next month on November the 16th. Have a good month. Bye for now.